So, Marcus, it's good to see you again. And uh, you you have a question about um, two people in a conversation, and neither of them feels like they're being heard, and neither of them is getting what they want. Yeah. Okay. Can you name me a conversation where that doesn't happen? In fact, that's what an argument is. Yeah, that is what it is. Yeah. It happens all the time. Right. It I guess does. it's a, yeah. So with a bit of skill, you can see it coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with a little less skill, but still skill, you can see when you're caught in it and put a stop to it. That in fact, every argument, there's someone will eventually wake up and put a stop to it. Otherwise, there's going to be violence and death and bodies to dump in lakes and uh, <laughs> and star wars and planets to blow up. I mean, generally, there's no end to ignorance. Yeah. Hopefully, somebody is going to wake up sometime. And the sooner they wake up, the less damage they're doing. So I understand that in that regard, you want her to wake up really fast. Uh, yeah, but like at the same time, <laughs> I think another aspect uh, is like, um, I mean, we touched on it a little bit actually last time, which is this thing that, you know, she had uh, some criticisms of me and uh, I felt, you know, some of them were justified and some not, uh, but uh an interesting thing is that, like, in, in response case, to feel attacked, there's a yeah, there attack. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the thing is, like, uh, like we were talking about, there's this um, automatic sense that I should feel bad, and that I should feel guilty, and I'm really like noticing that. But then I'm thinking, well, it's, that doesn't actually help me. Probably didn't her. say that, so that's some old pattern that you've added to the mix. That when somebody criticizes you, you're supposed to feel bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, she didn't say it for sure. It's just like an automatic reaction in myself that I, as if if I feel bad, that will somehow like fix anything for anyone. That's absolutely so, not in do. a way. It doesn't matter whether the criticism is correct or not. We mm -hmm. automatically have a first reaction to it rather than being yeah. given a gift. We see it as an attack. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so if you could hear what she has to say as a gift, because she thinks she's doing you a favor. Mm -hmm. She's actually there to help you, and she's frustrated yeah. because you would rather um, get defensive and try to protect uh, the self the way that it was. Yeah. But you're That's doing so all true. the attacking. She's just offering advice. And look, at the, you're the one who is doing the attacking, and you're attacking yourself with that parent ego state of the wounds and all that is called Sankaras. Yeah. Right? So, with that, we can uh, sort of recognize then why it is so valuable to practice sati and to practice changing the mind out of unwholesome into wholesome, and to practice taking joy in doing that. 
because when those arguments give uh, themselves an opportunity to arise, you'll just jump right into that argument the way that you did years ago. Any argument will do. I'm willing to argue with anybody on any topic. <laughs> and then I'll feel bad when they attack me. Yeah. So you've been there, done that, huh? That's right. <laughs> okay, well, now that we're getting that kind of insight, is, is that you set yourself up, you make yourself a target, and then when the target gets hit, you squeal. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with that. Okay. All right. So there's several ways that we can deal with that. And you could say that there are several ways we could deal with it based upon the skill level that you have. Mm -hmm. And that the higher the skills, the easier it is to deal with. But in the beginning, there's some skills. And one of the skills that you can now pick up and, and uh, take on is to be mindful or to be alert for uh, these arguments to know in advance when you're getting into it how soon can you pick up on oh here we go again and if you can do that joyfully aha i see you here we go again here to dance <laughs> then with that attitude you can deal with the argument in a completely different way if you know that you're waltzing into an argument. And see, so you've been doing this ignorantly for a while. You've been wondering how it all got started. Mm -hmm. And so now you can sort of plan on seeing arguments five seconds ahead. One of the ways that you can tell always is when you change your voice, when you raise your voice either in pitch or in volume. Either one is a sure indication that this is heading south. This is getting heavy. And so the thing to do right then, shut up. And in fact, that's a good uh, idea as a, as a plan during those times when you want to let her have it is the time to refrain from letting her have it. Keep your mouth shut. You'd be surprised how short arguments are when only one person is arguing. And you can keep your mouth shut. And, and if you are, uh, let us say, skillful, you can do that in the same mood with the same attitude and the same gestures that you have with me right now. Just sitting there and smiling and nodding your head. And feeling the same way inside that you do now, rather than the way that you normally feel when you're in an argument. So that's the question. Can you do that? Can you see these arguments coming in? Take a deep breath. Oh, there it comes again. And now it's time to shut my mouth. Smile and nod. Yes, ma'am. 
<laughs> what do you think will happen if you try that approach? Or non-approach as we call it. <laughs> well, the, basically the argument cannot go on because it takes two people. So if you can manage that on the outside, then the only uh, next issue is that how do you feel about it on the inside when you're being criticized? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you've been criticized before probably many times, probably way too many times you've been criticized. Right? <laughs> did you survive? Yeah, I did. You survived every one of them, huh? Yeah. So you're still breathing. You're still here. Yeah, so, it's remarkable. <laughs> Pardon? It's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's in fact remarkable when I point that out to students that, hey, you did not cut yourself to death yet. Here you are still alive, which means we're doing something right. Because you're still alive. If you screwed up everything, you'd already have been screwed up enough to have it kill you. Yeah. And like, if I look back at times when I was criticized, like even if I didn't like it or still don't, in retrospect, it has, uh, you know, been of some benefit to making me, you know, consider things differently or just generally approaching uh, situations in a better way. Yes, that we are still alive, that we're still breathing, that this is where it comes in, that aren't you glad that you're still alive? Yeah. I yeah, am. so you would be glad that you're still alive, even when someone is uh, arguing with you and criticizing you, right? You still rather be alive than and criticized than dead and don't have to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've got some place to go with it then. So this is, in fact, back to um, Dukkha, where in the West, a lot of people have been uh, kind of talked into believing that uh, life itself is suffering. That has exactly to do with um, Christianity's uh, original sin. That we all are born in sin. Well, basically, we're born into a civilization that's full of sin. Okay. So, in fact, it's more of that we, we are not born a pile of shit. We're born immediately covered in a pile of shit. And there's a difference. That is, is that life itself is not a pile of shit. We just kind of make it that way. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that I say it is, is that you you probably heard this: that life sucks. <laughs> then you die. Yeah. That's the bumper sticker for a while. Life sucks. Then then you die. The point though is, is that life sucks when we are sucking. If we would stop sucking on things, then life would suck so much. And so the sucking in life is not the same thing. It's not that life that sucks, it's the sucker who's sucking. But probably there's no noun anywhere in there, and it's certainly not life itself. So, when we say that life sucks, 
or that uh, we're actually not looking at the fact that we want something that we don't have. It's like we're trying to take uh, the life that we want and suck through a soda straw. I remember very much so. I got a Mercedes automobile through a soda straw because I sucked on it that hard. <laughs> but until I got that Mercedes, life sucked. <laughs> <laughs> But guess what? I didn't set that soda straw down. I should have then, recognizing that how, look how hard I suck. So when we recognize that it is our wanting and our clinging and wanting things to be different than they are is often what creates the things. Um, that has been kind of uh, in the magical realm or in the witch's uh, brew or uh, sayings that they have in Wiccan uh, is, is that you draw to yourself the things that you're afraid of. And there are many, many, many examples of that in nature. An example would be the postman who is afraid of the dog. He behaves afraid of the dog. The dog knows that he's afraid of him. And so the dog immediately, the dog immediately starts barking at this guy. Here in Tainan, the, all the uh, delivery guys ride motorbikes. And whenever the dogs are then barking at them, what do they do? They stop their motorbike. They can't figure out that their motorbike is faster than any dog. And all they have to do is just drive away. But they don't. They stall in fear of getting bitten, giving the dog an opportunity to bite them. Wow. Yeah. So these are a couple of physical examples of that. So <clears throat> when your fear of being criticized, you will set yourself up for being criticized. You draw to it. You draw it to you. The things that you're afraid of, you become some kind of magical or magnet or set things up intellectually or um, whatever it is. And then we get the criticism. Just uh, questions like, how am I doing? Expecting a good answer, and they actually answer the question, how you're doing. The best thing, if you don't want to hear about it, is don't ask. Better thing to do is investigate, to look. So if you ask her what you want in these argumentative, argumentative situations, she's going to make sure you don't get it. Just like you make sure that she does not get what she wants out of the argument. So you set each other up with this rule. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it happen many times, but I did not see it for myself the first time until it was pointed out to me almost on a regular basis by good teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is how arguments go, is that we, we invent the argument. So that's also the question, who starts the argument, you or her, or you don't know, or both, or neither one of you, because you each one were already in argument in your mind. Often the argument starts before anybody says anything.
Yeah, I mean, I've definitely sometimes, you know, looked for reasons to be offended or upset. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we have something to look for, to check these things, to see that those are unwholesome thoughts we have that set up unwholesome situations with the people that we care about. That is well known in uh, many circles that we hurt the ones we care about the most. Basically, what that means is, is that uh, we will behave behind closed doors in such outrageous ways that we mm -hmm. dare expose in public. That I, uh, from time to time, would ask a woman the way that she's treating her child. If you treated a cop that way, what do you think that cop would do to you? <laughs> <laughs> give them pause to think that yes we behave badly when we think we can get away with it and that's actually it, yeah that's true you don't try it guess what you're not getting away with it because you already know and she knows too neither one of you are letting each other off with any of this Because often the arguments are old arguments anyway. Yeah, I mean, like. Pardon? Yeah, you, okay. Yeah, there was a little problem, but it's fixed now. So um, oh. basically, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. So yeah, there was like this one instance where uh, recently where a person basically uh, you know, wrote to me like a long message uh, detailing uh, like certain things uh, that uh, she had been upset about that I have done like, you know, months ago. And I hadn't like, I hadn't really even noticed that those were so bothersome. But then I'm like, wow, okay. So like all this time, this person had like this image of something I did, whereas I saw it completely differently. Yeah, well, guess what? In an argument, old ammunition is the best ammunition. Mm -hmm. If it worked, if that ammunition worked one time, we'll bring it up and get you again with it. <laughs> and so if she said it before, you can just say, oh, I've heard that before and see where that goes. Oh yeah, no, it was like, like actually there were some things that like I hadn't heard before. So it was like maybe uh so yeah, there's basically like two people. The person who uh so yeah, like one person basically I was under the impression that we were like on pretty good terms. But then yeah, then at some point they just uh, told me like all the stuff that they've been upset about, which they didn't bring up back then. And that was, you know, yeah, that was a little bit surprising to me. Well, it is actually possible. In fact, the psychologists um, have a name for it. It's called pecking order. And it goes something like this. The big boss yells at one of the um, uh, junior bosses. The junior boss goes and argues and yells at the um, employees. The employees on the way out kick the janitor. The janitor goes home and beats his wife. The wife mm -hmm. beats the uh, child, and the child kicks the dog. 
Okay. I think I got all of them in there. <laughs> all right. So that's what pecking order is. In other words, if we get upset that we don't think we can get away with retaliating against the one who made us upset, we'll go find somebody else and retaliate upon them. And we do that for convenience sake. So whoever's there is the one who gets it. So if you go home and there she is, let her have it. <laughs> Or in her case, whatever happened in the day, when she gets home, she's going to let you have it. Oh, yeah, but sometimes it's also like we just don't say anything and hold a grudge and paint this picture of the other person that's like uh, completely, you know, distorted. Um, yes, that's the other way is, is to hang, what they call hanging on to it, holding on to it. And what we would, in fact, recognize is rehearse it. Rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it. And when we've got it down pat, then we let them have it. Yeah, that's felt a little bit what that was like. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I do. I've done it, too. So I understand where it comes from because, you know. it's uh -huh. uh, So in a way, then, all we're talking about right now is Anapanasati. Yeah. Yeah, to wake up and look at what we're doing and recognizing that we're rehearsing the trash and that we can throw all of that out. And really be glad to be in the environment that we're in. So if you're in an environment with your friend, be very happy that you're with her. And if she starts stunging the mud, dodge. She can't hit you, not with anything new. Anything that you do, she's already got old ammunition. It's better than anything you're doing now. And when you recognize that old ammunition, you don't have to let it hit you. Sort of stand out of the way. It's, oh, that's not me. I've changed since then. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem. Like, I, I take somebody's words and start beating myself over the head with them. Even if, like, you know, I've moved on and kind of, like, learned what I need to learn, but, I've, you know, there's still this habitual guilt. Well, this is what Anapanasati really then is about, is to recognize that we get into those kind of patterns, that you take what she says, mix a whole lot of stuff that your mommy told you when you probably were still in diapers about how to feel about what girl says this lady says and so you've got that mixture of the sankara and the uh the criticism and you rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it over and over and over again making yourself feel bad with every cycle yeah. the question is can you wake up to those cycles can you see it because if you can see it you say i can change that I do not have to go down that rabbit hole. Not right now. Yeah, last time, like I was rehearsing all that stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't stop, but at least I managed to, like, you know, keep uh, breathing in a better way, which I think allowed me to, like, not get totally, you know, lost, lost in the on, in the unwholesome thoughts, or at least it like lessened the uh, the impact somewhat. So. 
that's uh, you know better than not having that. I think it's like uh, like the breath is really important. Like once that gets out of control, then then it's just like then there are like really really bad feelings. It feels really hard to do anything about it if one is like not paying attention to the breathing and how that is interplaying with those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the easiest way to see that is by getting away from it, getting alone, being in seclusion, and then practicing watching what the mind is doing so that you can then change it and just keep changing it. <clears throat> this is a completely different method than what they would call concentration. Oh, you're supposed to take an object and hold that object and hold that object and hold that object and hold that object. What that means is that you're just giving the hindrances uh, um, a boundary to not cross or keeping them at bay, almost as if they're going to build up instead of having one at a time coming, they come as a horde. As soon as you lose your object of concentration, then the mind will get really busy again. And so the better practice is is to not try to force the mind to do anything, but rather just keep track of what the mind is doing with the idea that you can change it by adding a little wholesomeness to it. That's the practice, is it so that beginning every thought then becomes a wholesome thought. An example of that is instead of when the argument starts, oh, here we go again, you can come up with the uh, gladden that up. Aha, I caught you. (laughs) I see that. And starting adding some joy to the situation. Brighten the mind, gladden the mind, change the way that we're thinking. And we can practice doing that. When we're in solitude, in fact, we need to practice it when we're in solitude to be able to do it in public. But in the life that you have, you've got both time for silent moments of seclusion as well as having to deal with it on a daily basis. So you're in and out and in and out and in and out. So that gives you actually two opportunities to practice. But the best practice is going to be um, when you're alone so that you can get those gladdening thoughts and get them together. And then when you're in public, even with another person, that's probably enough. And so uh, dealing with other people, the question is, is, can you get yourself into a really good state and then share that with other people? But that's the real goal, is to be, become friends with yourself on the inside and then become friends with other people using the same methods and the same techniques. All right. That's the cause and effect. But in fact, there are systems of, of thought like meta-meditation. But meta-meditation is kind of backwards. In fact, I even tell the students to say things like, may all beings be happy. Have you ever heard of that? They all yeah. beings be free from suffering. I've, I've done it as well sometimes, yeah. 
All right. Well, guess what? When people are saying may all beings be happy, they're putting themselves in that group of unhappy too. Let's all become happy. And in fact, the possibility of having an all of everybody is a con concept. That in fact, we can't make everybody happy. It is a fool's errand to begin with. A much better way of understanding Metta is that, uh, in fact, the way to say it would be, wow, I wish everybody that was hearing what I had to say felt as good about it as I did. Okay. There's two things about that. One is, is that the everybody that's around is not every living creature. Because every living creature is not my business. The only thing that is my business is that which is around. What's happening in uh, Norfolk or in Cincinnati, none of my business. But who's around here? The dogs on the porch, the kids in the house. They're my business. Here they are. And so I work with them to help them be happy at this moment. So that would be the spreading of the method. But if I don't have any joy, what kind of gift can I offer them? If my mind is full of argument, what gifts am I going to give them? So this is what we're practicing, is to get the mind clean. When you've got nothing to make it dirty, all you're cleaning up is old mess. And when you get really, really good at cleaning up all the old mess and get the mind straight and span, then you can handle it when somebody comes in and messes with it. Don't you know you can clean it up again? In fact, if you're sharp, you can clean it up faster than they can mess it. <laughs> and one of the ways of doing that is by moving it out of the way so whatever they're shooting at misses. <laughs> they didn't hit your mind and make it a mess anyway. You didn't present yourself as a target. Which goes back to the idea that that's not me. I don't behave the way that I did 30 years ago, so why should I break myself up for the things that I did 30 years ago that were god-awful terrible? Yeah, or maybe three days ago for that matter. Sometimes it's like, yeah, well, for three that days clearly happened, didn't work. And we're changing a lot, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Every minute's a new minute. Yeah. Exactly. But the joy is, is that now we can see that what we could not see that three days ago. Three days ago, you could not see what a mess this was making. Now that you can see what a mess this is making, you would choose not to do it. So therefore, you're not the same person. Yeah, I think this view of like the continue, this view that like what we do defines who we will become in the future is also sort of uh, like self-fulfilling and causes us to like do the same things again. So this is the way that we practice is to wake up, look at what we're doing, make an improvement, 
and congratulate ourselves. When we do that over and over and over again, and pretty soon that congratulations, you'll begin to recognize that, hey, you can do this. You can clean up your own mind. Every time you make a mess, you clean it right up. Every time you fall down, you can dust your, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and boogie on down the road. And most of us, when we fall down, like when we criticize, we just lay there and wallow in poor me. She ought not said that. And so we rehearse it, which means that we just stay dirty. But you can pick yourself up if you remember. You can take that and dust yourself off and then hook you on down the road. Yeah, I think maybe also like there are certain, you know, mistakes that maybe I've made that, uh, you know, and sometimes make again. But I think even then, like maybe the good attitude to have is, well, I'm not that person right now. Like, I don't know about like in an undefined moment in the future, but I'm not that person right now. Right now, I have a better perspective. Right. If that same person is me that I did then, then there's reason for regret, remorse and redoing it. That that's the problem with forgiveness. Is that if we get forgiven, that's just permission to go do it again. But if we distance ourselves from it, say, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. I don't do that now. I can see clearly that's not the right thing to do. That in fact, in Christian terms, we would say, go and sin no more. Go away from this stuff. Get out of here. Don't don't come back. Don't don't go back into that state again. But almost always within the Christian um, confessional, the priests want to extract something out of you because they know you're going to go back and do it again. That's what confessions and and um, uh, forgiveness is all about. here we're going to say all right through wisdom i can recognize that i have been in these arguments i'm going to stop doing because they're unwholesome they're unhealthy and i've got just the tools to do it tool number one a zipper (laughs) and draw it tight enough that it makes a smile So that's the way that we begin to practice is, is that we recognize that getting into arguments is not what I want to be. That's not who I am now. That'll give you the insight and the determination to take joy instead of the old uh, defensive way that you were doing with the argument. Yeah. Another and thing I noticed. Go ahead, I'm listening. Yeah. Another thing I noticed is like uh, the nature of apologies. There's like two things. Like, I guess this, the one thing is that maybe I apologize because I recognize I did something wrong and I don't want to do that. That I want, uh, you know, to let the other person know that that was wrong and I'm sorry. But like the, uh, the unwholesome way is that like I'm apologizing not to make them feel better, but because 
I wouldn't make me, me feel, feel better right. by like, you know, yeah, right. And that's, uh, you know, I, I really uh, have to look for that. You know, sometimes there's just this feeling of, well, okay, now I felt this guilty for a while. Maybe, you know, maybe they will allow me to feel good again. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's really messed up. <laughs> Yes, and you can see that that's a messy way of doing it. Congratulations. This is what the whole show, this, this Dhamma, this Vipassana is all about, is to see how we mess stuff up so that we can see how to clean it up. Pretty soon, after you clean up this and that and the other mess, your life becomes a shining toy to play with. Shiny new toy. And so, in a way, this Anapanasati of taking a deep breath, seeing what you're doing, changing your your mind, changing your breathing, congratulating yourself for it, recognize that you are safe and secure, comfortable and satisfied, and that we can do this. And that's touching many of the states of Anapanasati. We've covered quite a lot of the territory right there, which is basically dealing with the body, getting in touch with the body, breathing well, changing the way that we feel. But the only way that we can change the way that we feel is by changing the way that we're thinking. And in fact, that's how we change the body first. The only reason that you can take a deep breath is because you think of taking a deep breath and then you take a deep breath, your mind controls the body. Once we get that connection going, then you can use both of them to control the feelings in the sense that you can learn to feel the way that you uh, want to feel rather than feeling the way that you have trained yourself to feel. But we trained ourselves how to feel when we were too stupid, ignorant, figure out that we could feel the way that we wanted to feel. We were children. And how did we feel? We felt the way that the adults around us were feeling. We used them as role models. So that's how from one generation after another, that original sin is passed down, but it's passed down not as inherent, but as merely a coding. And when you take a really clean bath, you recognize that you are a clean slate, that that all your arithmetic and homework was not already written on the board before you were born. And you can choose what kind of thoughts and feelings you want to have. And that is what's liberating. Yeah, I'm really noticing this because I've, you know, I've been so used to like to roll off the victim where I would wake up in the morning and be like, oh my God, I'm feeling so bad. Why am I feeling so bad? But now, now when I'm in that state, I'm asking like, well, well, how did I make this happen right now? And how can I make something better happen? Because it's me, me who made me feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, um, an example would be waking up and feeling really tired. Oh, I don't want to get out of bed. Oh, I feel so tired. And then the thought, hey, 
I could get myself out of this by energizing. Let me take a few deep breaths and see if I feel better. And sure enough, we do. And pretty soon then we think for some reason or another that work makes it worth getting out of bed for now that we've got the, enough energy. Before we so, felt so tired that we didn't see any reason to get up. But now that we've given ourselves some energy, poked ourselves up, we'll begin to think of, oh, there is that toy that I could go play with. Let me go check that thing out. And so meditation in the morning, just at the point of waking up in the morning, that's a really good time to practice. Before you get out of bed, go for a mind sweep. Yeah, because sometimes there are like some kind of dreams that like bring up some kind of odd stuff. Then that mm -hmm. like tends to linger. Like it's good to like clean that stuff up. I once had a dream that was so vivid. And what it was is, is that somehow or another, I had returned to an ancient Asian, like an India hotel. But this hotel was not only rooms where people lived, but every nook and cranny was stuffed with old wreck motorcycles. <laughs> and that I was in that building inspecting every BMW that I could find. Is this mine? And then somehow enough, to, enough woke up to say, this is a dream. And <laughs> that the motorcycle that you're looking for is gone. <laughs> so is the dream. Okay, the waking up to the recognizing that the reality is that that motorcycle is gone. Why am I still hoping and wanting that motorcycle? And look at the dream state of where that I'm looking for. I'm actually looking for it where it actually is. It's junk. <laughs> but the dream got really, really vivid for a while in the sense that I know many of the various motorcycles that I could dream up in my mind to check it out. No, that's not it. And I came up with quite a number of them on various floors, some of them hanging, others were all apart. <laughs> it's just amazing what the mind would do in a few minutes of dreaming. <laughs> and I had worked myself, and oh, poor me, I can't find my motorcycle until I woke up to recognize that motorcycle is in that junkyard. Why is your mind in that junkyard? <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we can we can do that. When you wake up in the morning, you can reflect upon the dreams that you had, if you've had one that you remember. You recognize right now I'm in reality and it feels so good to be awake. You'll be free from all of that. Another time to do it is when you go to sleep at night. Many people say, oh, I've got to go to sleep. And the answer is, why don't you just lay there in bed for a little bit or just enjoy how nice it is. Don't wear to go and nothing to do. And pull that cover up. It's so snuggly. And just go to sleep in that sort of state. And then we won't have all of these violent dreams of where's my damn motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been actually like doing it in bed for a while when I remember because it's like, it's like a, 
because there's always this sort of anxiety like otherwise like well how am i gonna fall asleep now but like that's obviously not gonna help instead it's like well sleeping doesn't take an effort it's just like i'm just being there and if it happens it happens you know yeah, right oh how nice it is to not put even the pressure on myself that you gotta go to sleep just wait there and just enjoy the night So that's actually the practice of wakefulness. Along with that goes the, uh, the sleeping posture. We sleep on one side so that we can breathe really well. We sleep on our back, we close off the back part of the uh, breathing. And if we sleep on our chest, it really is hard. It's possible to sleep so that you're kind of three quarter, but we still leave a lot of room for the breathing. So sleeping on one side consciously. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can adjust your posture back into one side or the other. So moments of sleeping on the side. In fact, there are physiological reasons it's slightly better to sleep on the left side than it is on the right side. And the reason for that is because the heart is doing all the work. It's now low, close to the bed. And so you just kind of let it rest there, uh, doing this little uh, dumpy dumpy thing. And just relax. Yeah. I think the posture thing is also something they uh, discovered with like uh, COVID patients that like if they were having these people like lay on their back, like the uh, the, the oxygen they level in their blood them. got really low. Mm -hmm. In the early days, they were killing a lot of people through bad medical practice. They, they had to learn that you don't put people in uh, hospital beds, crank it up, almost force them to be on their back, and then put these machines on them to help them breathe. Because those ventilators, once you go on one, you're probably not going to come off of it. That's why they, you know, in the beginning of it, they wanted ventilators left, right, and center, anywhere we can get ventilators, and so they recognize the ventilators were killing the patients. They're putting them on their side was much better any posture but laying on their back and that's why we that's one of the major reasons you know they still don't have a cure for it why is it that now the death rate is so low the death rate is really really slow low i mean now it's down to only what a thousand a day or so where it was three thousand four thousand five thousand a day for a long period of time because of bad medical practices. Now they've got it down to where there's only about a thousand people a day. That's the last I heard. That's probably several months old. But in any case, the death rate has really come down because they're, uh, they're working with uh, respiration therapy rather than uh, doing the old medical techniques that they had with them. So, that's another reason for you to start sleeping on your side. It's good health. It's also good mental training. So remember to come back and sleep on your side. Which is very much like be here now. I mean, it's really hard to, to actually remember to turn over and get on your side and then not do anaponosati. Just almost immediately you start working with the breath. <laughs> yeah, the breathing feels really nice on the side. Like there's 
it's like the gravity is working in favor exactly exactly so so these are the opportunities that we can have throughout the day to get ourselves into a really really nice state so that's the way that we want to be able to approach somebody who wants to argue with us and be in a really good state Well, Marcus, I think that we've pretty well handled this particular issue. Do you yes, have any have. questions about it? Mm, that issue, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll try out what I've learned. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Go enjoy your practice. <laughs>